welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 73. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's third season episodes, Captain's Holiday, Tin Man, and Hollow Pursuits. Here we go. Captain's Holiday, Season 3, Episode 19, Production Number 167, Original Air Date, April 15th, 1990, Directed by Chip Chalmers, Written by Ira Stephen Bear, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Jennifer Hetrick as Vosh, Karen Landry as Azure, Michael Champion as Baratus, Max Grodanchik as Sobak, and Deidre Immershine as Jobal. <laughs> At the crew's insistence, Picard reluctantly agrees to take a week-long vacation to Riza, a tropical resort. However, following his arrival, the captain's peace is disturbed by Sovak, a Ferengi who accuses Picard of conspiring with Vosh, a woman in possession of a mysterious optical disc. Although Picard knows nothing about the disc, Vosh implicates him by slipping it into his pocket, thus beginning the real holiday for the captain. This isn't a starship, Jean-Luc. I don't follow orders. Oh, I see. Besides, you'd never find it without me. The professor's notes are in code. From the moment I met you, I knew you were going to be trouble. You look like a man who can handle trouble. I like your uh, summary there, Mr. Caesar. (laughs) (laughs) Thus beginning the real holiday. Um, Yeah, it's funny how... It is kind of enlightening, but it's it's weird how it's like simult- this episode is like simultaneously enlightening for the captain, yet exactly how we know him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but of course, the biggest thing for the Star Trek universe is the introduction of Vash. It, mm-hmm. To me, it's it's still very strong and very clear how she is so um, immediately the perfect foil for Picard. You know, she is the person that you could see him um, having this. Uh, you know, I guess it, I mean it's more than just an affair, exactly. But you know, uh, they do have this this connection. They're they're both so independent that they can kind of turn it on and off. Um, but it, you know, when you think about Picard, what a strong character he is, and then you try to think about um, someone that would that you can believe he would be interested in, or um, that could even catch his eye. It it does seem like a short list. You know, and she she pulls it off. Jennifer Hedrick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's very good. She's very good. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I kind of see them as three things all in one. They're opposites, yet they're very much alike, and they also share this passion for antiquities. But um, you know, Picard's is more of a, you know, let's put it in a museum. Hers is more mm-hmm. um, profit based. But um, that's where their their personalities match. in a museum. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we 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 haven't got we've gotten to see a little, little bit by bit. Um, um, Picard's this is kind of his hobby, you know, archaeology and um, different kind of legends of, of you know trinkets and treasures and things of that nature. Um, this is kind of the first time we get to see like a kind of a full-on episode about his passion for this the side of his life, I guess you could say. Yeah. Steve, do you remember? Um, I don't know. Do you do you remember seeing this episode and thinking, oh wow, they're going to bring her back? You know? I I don't necessarily remember that. I remember it, it it feeling right and it was fun and yeah, like you said, she's she that character works very well with Picard's character in terms of a romantic interest for a variety of reasons. 
how does this episode kind of sit with the Vosh ones for you guys? You know, what there's three of them, right? There's the Cupid mm-hmm. and then um, the DS9 one. Q less? No, that's not it. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> Q something. Um, how does this episode kind of rate compared to those with Vosh for you? Well, I mean, as we've discussed, uh, of course, years ago now <laughs> on the DS9 one, that wasn't the, uh, I don't think that was the a great episode by any stretch, you know, and one of the weakest Q episodes for sure. But uh, in general, I didn't care much for that episode. So I think the uh, the Robin Hood thing is probably the 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 one that sticks out the most in my mind in terms of all of those, you know, just because it's so novel, I suppose. But I, I think, you know, this this is a good episode for her as well. Yeah, she's kind of, I mean, you know, her character's, it doesn't change, you know, there's only three episodes, so it doesn't change when she's kind of the same in each episode. Mm-hmm. She's got a, she's very devious and, you know, she's somebody that you, you, you can't, tr- you can trust her to kind of do the right thing. She's not going to put you in harm's way, but you can't trust her with, you can't, it's kind of a, a weird mix, you know, you can trust her to not trust her kind of type thing. Well, um, I love the uh, the opening bits where they're, where they're trying to get the captain to take to take <laughs> yeah. vacation. Uh, the bit on the um, the little gag on the um, um, turbo lift with uh, Riker when he's like, uh, "We are not going to talk about this anymore." Is that clear? You know, very clear, sir. Very good. Okay, so the planet. It's <laughs> 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 pretty funny. Yeah, and even the bit with um, with uh, Troy and her mother. I mean, it's not like he. Yeah. really takes that seriously that that's what's going to happen he just understands that it's all part of this uh-huh. this uh, concerted effort to get her to get him to uh, take his vacation um i wrote down let's see oh you know i think it's going to sound odd this is not the kind of comment i usually make but my single favorite thing in this episode is just how that scene when he, picard is poolside i guess we don't really see a pool but i guess whatever <laughs> you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. near the beginning when he first gets to rise at when you think about it, that scene is really long, mm-hmm. right? Because it starts off and he's being pestered by um, the the woman, and then he gets pestered by uh, the Frangi, and then Vosh shows up, and then they get up and walk a few steps, and then there's another okay, confrontation. I mean, that scene is incredibly long, but you never, I never feel it. Um, I, I was hard-pressed to think of another Star Trek scene in recent memory that could have possibly been so long, even if you count the second half as another scene. Which I don't think you would. Um, well, they really well, it, sustained that for a long time, based based purely on character. Well, the way I guess the way it was wrote, it, it lent itself to transition. You know, you had one person, then the next person. So it's like kind of, you know, they, they were able to pull that off in a simple way. I mean, it, it worked mm-hmm. out well. But it's but it's unusual for Star Trek to stay yeah. in one place like that. <laughs> That, um, that scene has uh, I always love some of his lines like so it would seem so it would seem I still say that yeah. a lot because it's so funny and that's the funniest thing is like uh, you need to practice more whatever she says and so it would seem you know I love it. <laughs> oh right when she's talking about I need to practice more with hoverball or whatever it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's another one of the uh, the Picard a hole lines yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking to myself, if he wanted to be by him, why didn't he just read on his balcony in his room or something like that? Why is it? Right, right. Why is it even down there? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I usually, what I do when I, when I take my notes, you know, I'll put like a, a star next to. Okay, definitely want to mention this. Definitely want to mention this. So like I mentioned, I, I put I only put three stars, which is very unusual. 
I wrote down a couple things about that seeming to success. The only other star that I made in this whole episode was cave sex. (laughs) 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 We don't see that a lot, I guess. Well, Mm. I noticed they they fit a lot of stuff in that little backpack, that little plastic backpack or whatever they had. (laughs) Which looks so incredibly uncomfortable, doesn't it? Yeah. Every time I see it, that's what I think. This is in the future, and it's probably... (laughs) you got to use futuristic medical technology just to fix your lower back after you wear that thing for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Mm. I love how they just have, like, you know, they go camping and they just have bed sheets to sleep in. It's like... (laughs) Yeah, but you could tell that clearly it was a bed sheet from the future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe somehow even though it was really thin it was really soft. Yeah. It was like a whole mattress. Hmm. Um I I like how you know Picard can kind of have this whole he can kind of have this whole adventure and it's just it's just him, you know? It's not like he gets back and files a report. Right. He doesn't even tell anybody about it. <laughs> just, he doesn't right. even you know, was it a uh, relaxing trip? Uh huh. <laughs> Sounds like my 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 two year old son. <laughs> what, what happens on Riza stays on Riza. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the first time we we've heard Riza's name before, but I'm I believe this is the first time we see Riza. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, how many more times we we don't see it a lot more, but obviously there's the big DS9 episode mm-hmm. that really focuses on it. Um, yeah, but you know the, the main thing that 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 makes this episode work is just is uh you know Picard and Vosh's relationship and how I, you really you just believe it you know even that scene when they first um what it, he says you know that's an order or something and she says I don't have to follow your orders but you know you can tell that he's he's massively enjoying that <laughs> um there's something about that you know he, obviously he can't get that it's not, and the one thought it made me have is well, I, I guess it makes it more obvious why it would be hard to have a relationship if you were on a ship as a captain. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even like the the one time we saw an ongoing relationship like that, really, from a cap for the captain was DS9. And he was able to have it with this person who didn't wasn't in the Federation, wasn't even a Bajoran. You know, she just she came and go. She came and went, you know, and in, in a way. She wasn't even you, there half the time. Yeah. In a way that you couldn't have on a starship. Right, they'd everybody be there. They wouldn't. Um, so yeah, what's kind of, what's kind of inter- mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting. I was watching it. I was watching this episode. You know, what was I think it was the last episode that the Bevel, the um the fake the copy Picard. We were talking about that with Bevel, yeah, Beverly. Allegiance. Mm-hmm. Allegiance. That's the kind of the first time you know they hinted at the Picard Crusher relationship, but that's the kind of the first time they took it to that level even though it was a replicant it's yeah. interesting um you know then we go right into this episode so it kind of kills it kind of to me i don't know i guess it kind of uh. kills that all you know there's nothing going to happen there um kind of that's just what i was thinking in my head i was like oh they just did that and now they're doing that so i guess that kind of killed that you know it's just hindsight that's, that's an interesting point but like mm-hmm. the first thing you said there really it was it was from the audience's point of view, not the right. Point. Yeah, right. On the other hand, from the Patrick Stewart point of view, you got to kiss two ladies two episodes in a row. That's a lot for the captain of yeah. this show. <laughs> of this show, definitely. Um, got to see got to see a lot of chest hair too. Yeah, and those like really, really, really short shorts. Shorts. Yeah. <laughs> guy. How old is, is Stewart in this? Like forty five, forty six, something like that. Probably. Yeah. Well, he was in yeah. a speedo in the on that whole yeah. scene we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> mm. He's European. 
Right. Mm-hmm. I love like the disdain that that opening that same scene we we're talking about earlier that the, like the just flat out disdain of whenever he realized he's been duped by Riker into displaying that horgon and it's just like under his breath Riker. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's very funny. Uh, what's this episode about? Uh oh. Hmm. What do we think of the the Vorgons from the 27th century? I'm kind of surprised he just like accepted it as fast as it was. You think about it. I mean, I know it's track and crazy stuff happens, but it's kind of like, oh, from the future. Okay. I mean, you know, it's, it seemed like he was just totally kind of buying at least they're from the future right off the bat. You know, you think yeah. there, they're just as likely to be some nut, you know, or something saying something like that, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it was kind of weird there at the end. He's like, you know, Vosh kind of has to talk him into like, you know, shouldn't they prove it? And he's like, oh, yeah, can you prove it? You know, so it was a yeah, little, it was a little awkward. It, it wasn't was so much the earlier scene where he seems to accept it so quickly because he does at least have a line about mm-hmm. – um, let's assume for a moment that I believe you. Mm-hmm. It was the scene you were just referencing, Caesar, where he says – where she 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 kind of has to say these things to him and convince him. I think that maybe he should have – Known all. You know, he was he, – we just saw him that he was smart enough to have uh, figured out what Vosh was up to. And I think that he's smart enough that he probably could have – he should have sensed that there was something weird going on with the Vorgons as well. Yeah, I think that would have been more continuity-wise. It would have made the scene stronger if he did, now, had figured them out as well. He did have the scene, the previous scene where he set up with the Enterprise to destroy the Utah using what do they say, Code Fourteen, Transporter Code Fourteen, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Now, if if he said that because he was assuming it was the Vorgons that he was going to have to destroy it for, then that means he had thought about it already. Mm-hmm. So it was he was just pretending. There at the I, end one. I don't know. I don't know. It was kind of weird. It's hard well, to say. I mean, clearly that's a very dangerous thing. So in general, you got to be ready to you know not let it fall into the wrong hands, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. But originally, this episode was written so you know that opening scene, which is very unusual for Trek to start for next gen to not start on the Enterprise and to start with characters we've never seen before. But it opens on Ryza with the two Vorgons arriving mm-hmm, and finding Picard not there. Um, originally, this episode was written so that they kind of bookended it with almost a re- repeat of the first scene, indicating that they just came back in time again to try again, hmm. um, which makes a little more sense with Picard and Vosh's lines about who knows, they might try again, so we'll have a chance to see each other again or something. Um, but I guess ultimately the writers decided it was just too confusing. <laughs> so they cut yeah, it. Yeah. Um, well, actually, while I'm on the behind-the-scenes tip, originally this was, an, this was an Ira Bear script, and it was completely different. It was all about – it was like a character introspective thing about uh, Picard worrying about growing old and uh, losing the Enterprise and stuff like that. And I think he, he still went to Ryza, but that was just about the only thing that was similar. Hmm. And then – Ronberry completely nixed it and said um, he would not be going through these troubles in the 24th century. But I like I like the the vacation planet. You should do that and have have sex and stuff. <laughs> of course, he would like yeah. <laughs> the captain needs to get laid. Yeah, right. That's what what Stewart famously said to Ron Moore at one point. He said that to Ira Bear at one point. The captain needs to. Fight and screw more often, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, in this episode, he mm-hmm. punches somebody with a very funny POV shot, like the fist, his fist yeah, coming yeah. at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, so, do we have anything? What's what's it, what this episode's about? Because I mean, do you guys like this episode? Yeah, it's it's good. It's amusing. It's it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I don't. I was struggle thinking of what something would be about. Really, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the only thing I could think of, and again, it's convoluted. I kind of search for something. Is the notion of because we're dealing with a time travel and they like know what's going to happen and this kind of the the, the idea of predestination uh, versus you know, on one hand, you have these this idea that they they know what's going to happen. They go back to try to you know interfere this kind of thing. At the same time. It's uh, it's about Picard really doing something more, you know, um, out of the norm, you know, just kind of doing something more impromptu and seeing where things lead. So, it's, I don't know, it's a kind of an interesting contrast between those ideas in a way. Yeah, I kind of thought someone, you know, in a way, kind of like letting go. I mean, you know, Picard, trust, you know, he did kind of something out of character. He trusted this this. Um, Bosch character just on his own, you know, if um, this were a mission, he would be checking with data to do research or anything like that. So this was clearly a little bit something out of character that we've seen for the captain thus far. I mean, kind of him on his own. It was an uh, interesting character, interesting look at the Picard character and um, the different facets of his personality. Um, I had a hard time thinking about what it was about other than, you know, just having a great vacation. Um, I don't know what you think Brian yeah I I had kind of a harder time too Um, yeah I I don't really have much for it Um, I I mean I I always kind of liked this episode it was funny because I've talked about how I'm trying to pick and choose just the, the real cream of the crop for my wife to watch with me for next gen um, and this time I didn't have her watch any. But going into it, I thought, I think maybe she should see Captain's Holiday, but nah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then after I watched all three, I felt like, no, I'm glad I did not pay her, play her Captain's Holiday. However, I regret not playing her Holiday Pursuits. Hmm. Yeah. Because that one turned out, it was it was better than I remember. I remembered it being good, but I didn't remember it as even one of my, one of the better Barkley ones. But I thought it was really good. And I was like, Mom, why did I not think this was better before and, and, and likewise with captain's holiday um because it ultimately maybe isn't really trying to be about anything uh it comes off as not much more than the sum of its parts um and that holds it back you know as originally envisioned i think um i, I better for better or worse was trying to make it about something but what we ended up making was just a, a fun you know popcorny a uh, little Raiders Lost Ark thing or something. Uh, and that's fun. And it is fun. And I like it. And I like it, you know, more than anything for Vosh, for the introduction of her character, for seeing, you know, we, we see a lot into um, how Picard, um, we always see him as the captain. To see him not as the captain, uh, in a way, illuminates better who he is when he's the captain, you know, to mm-hmm. better understand the, why he makes the decisions he makes, who he is really as a person, you know, once he puts that, once he lowers his shield, right, once he puts that guard down in a way that he would never do on the Enterprise, it is illuminating, uh, and it is fun to watch, um, and I'm glad they made this episode, and I'm glad that we have it to watch, but um, as far as trying to be about something, maybe it uh, maybe it doesn't try hard enough, but we got to, I like we, get, we got to see the captain's game, he plays hard to get. That's how he gets. That's how he gets the ladies. <laughs> well, that and 
lying out reading Ulysses, that'll bring him to you every time. Mm. As long as you wear the Speedos. Right, the Speedos. <laughs> speedos and uh, Ulysses. And a Horgon. And then they know you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> Riker. All right, moving on to six degrees for Captain's Holiday. Steve, you're going first or second? I'll go first. Deidre L. Immershine plays Joval, the Rysian woman that finds Picard's lack of desire for Jamaharon puzzling. In DS9, she played Lieutenant Watley in the episode Trials and Tribulations. In what year did this episode air? Oh, the Trials and Tribulations air? Yes. Um, that would be... Um, oh, it must have been uh, 96. You're correct. 96 is part of the 30th anniversary. Yeah, we just had the 47th anniversary uh, yes. a week ago. Almost nobody mentioned it because, I mean, 47? <laughs> it's kind of like so. 73, like we were talking about. <laughs> <pre> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Adam, Max yes. Grodenchik plays Sovak, the Frankie that must have Vosh. He's most famous, of course, for playing Rom. Uh, on DS9, but in Next Gen's fifth season, he played yet another Ferengi, Par Lenore, trying to acquire Kamala, an empathic woman that looks a lot like Jean Grey, that <laughs> mistakenly fall, uh, fall, has fallen in love with Picard. What's the name of that episode? And again, I only ask episode names when I think they're either germane or particularly memorable. So... Um. Since I have no idea, I'll just go with the hot Jean Grey. <laughs> yeah, you should get like a half a point for that effort, but <laughs> Steve? Yeah, I definitely remember that episode, and it's going to hit me once you say it, but uh, I can't come up with it. The Perfect Mate. Ah, yes. The perfect title for the perfect mm. <laughs> Yeah, moving on. Tin Man, Season 3, Episode 20, Production Number 168, Original Air Date, April 23, 1990, Directed by Robert Shearer, Written by Dennis Putnam Bailey and David Bischoff, Music Composed by Jay Chataway, Guest Cast Include Michael Cavanaugh as Robert DeSoto, Peter Vogt as Romulan Commander, Colmini as Miles O'Brien, and Harry Grainer as Tam Elbrin. The Enterprise is ordered to transport Tam Elbrin, a Federation emissary, to a distant star system. Tam, a Betazoid who specializes in first contact with new life forms, is assigned to establish contact with Tin Man, an alien an intelligence resembling an organic starship. The Enterprise must win a race between the Romulans and a dying star about to explode to make this extraordinary first contact. Starfleet believes it's an organic creature, born in space living its life in the wastes between the stars. No one knows where it came from or why it's here. But we're going to meet it. We're going to talk to it. I'm going to talk to it. All right, Tin Man. Um, you know, it was weird. Like, I had... I was, I was trying to look it up and see how this episode was received, and I really couldn't find it for a change. Usually that's pretty easy to find. I couldn't find it. Um... I mean, not more than a couple of people. But um, my memories of this episode was that I never cared for it. Uh, watching it now, it's it was it was better than I remembered it. But I I think now it's a little bit easier for me to put a, 
the a finger on. <laughs> it's easier for me to give it the finger. <laughs> uh, you know, on on what makes it not work so well for me. I don't. I don't. I don't hate it. And as I mentioned a second ago, the next episode we're, that we're going to be discussing here in a minute is really good, and I think it's really really good. Uh, but this episode, I think the problem is that ninety percent of the episode it's about not one of our characters. It's yeah. it's really about Tam El- Elbrin, and then it's almost like they try and force in to make it about data mm-hmm. and it and it's not in any way insightful for data yeah it doesn't feel like it. it doesn't feel like he really grows at all it feels like it's just totally forced and and not the way he would really respond you know um i think that's that's my fundamental problem with it uh some of the good stuff for me i love the idea of the living Starship. I've always thought that was a cool idea, even in a tiny way, like when Voyager had their biogel packs or something. But you know, like this is almost like a real creature that's still a ship. I mean, that's that's really cool. I really I do like that a lot. Um, there are they've they've only tried this a few times, and it seems like the other times it came off as maybe a little cheesy, like say Farpoint, mm-hmm. um, which similar kind of things, sort of. But but here. You know, I think it works. I think I think this um, Tin Man slash Gomtu, you know, kind of works. Um, Caesar, um, what are, what are your I, here? I'm kind of with you. I I don't recall this episode being on my radar when you think back at when I thought back on it when it first came on. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I remember this episode. But I do. Um, after viewing it just now, you know, and going, you know. You kind of have a different mindset when when you watch episodes for as long as we've been doing this. Where you know your your mind's a little bit more critical in different ways. Um, I enjoy this type of episode, and so to me, it's kind of like an exploration episode. Um, I'm with you. I enjoy the um, the science behind you know this organic starship. That's kind of a cool idea. Um, and exploring that, making first contact. Um, there's a lot of great Star Trek episodes that are like that, and I enjoy this kind of this in the bottle type episode where they're just kind of exploring one thing. Um, I don't know if I agree with you about the data stuff. I actually did like it. I don't think data really related to Tam that much. I don't think they 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 didn't really relate to each other, but I think they understood each other, and um, I don't think their friendship was real deep. But I, I do think kind of data did learn something. I think maybe. What was cheesy f- for me about it was um, the end line Data had. He's like, well, you know, Tam found his place and I belong. You know, it was just a little kind of cheesy there right at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the interaction between the, between the two of them because, you know, they're talking about <clears throat> they're different. You know, Tam is obviously he has a highly sensitive person, even more so than any most Betazoids. And that difference and um, that's something him and Data share in common. And they're they're able to kind of help each other. Data is able to help him. And if, I don't think if he didn't have any kind of connection with him, he wouldn't have wanted to help him there. If, if that makes any sense. One of the one of the more interesting things we got. Just as a side note, I like that we got a little bit of an explanation about how beta zoids, beta zeds, um, how they are born and stuff is with without their empathic abilities you yeah, know and they, they don't develop until their adolescence kind of makes sense um it's a nice little bit of of um sci-fi culture there um but uh to, you know to really kind of give some life to the betazoids um but just this idea that every now and then one is born 
you know, even as an infant, being able to feel everybody's emotions around them. And you can see how that would just be so overwhelming. I have a, yeah, I have a two-year-old son now, um, and he is flat-out incapable of controlling his own emotions. <laughs> he is incapable of, you know, um, putting any sort of uh, gate up, you know, uh, and that's just with his own. And I can't imagine if, if everybody around him was just flooded and there's just this never-ending um, echo chamber of emotion. Yeah, nuts. Um, Steve, what are your, your, your thoughts here? Yeah, I think I think um, it's it's like like we, you were saying earlier. The the biggest issue is it focuses on on uh, Tam Elbrin, and uh, I I think in a larger sense he's an unlikable character. On the whole, you get yeah. sick of him. You know, you get tired of you. You understand? I mean, it kind of it's kind of exaggerated with how annoyed Riker is, for example, with him. But they um, it, it, there's something to that. I mean, you know, someone that just sits there and finishes your sentences for you because you can <laughs> sense your thoughts and that and all that's going on the whole time and the guy's just so agitated all the time you know i i get what's going on and there's it's interesting backstory and interesting that he's relating to this other life form and so on and so forth but i think that's the the core of the problem with it is yeah, and his focus, focus and you get tired of him and he's immediately that way the very first scene yeah. i think it's supposed to be he obviously annoys picard but he's immediately that way it's interesting to um contrast this episode with um Hollow Pursuits, mm -hmm. because there it feels like it's focusing largely on a different, you know, not one of our mm -hmm. core characters. But big difference, he is likable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's very likable. Uh, and um, we'll talk about this in the next one. But in in Hollow Pursuits, I really feel like it's a great episode for Jordy. You know, Jordy is asked to go out of his way to do something against his instincts. And to grow as a character so that he can find this connection with this man and help him, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't, and, and, and if the comparable person in this episode is Data, I do not uh, feel that that happens with Data in this episode in any way. Mm -hmm. um, but Caesar, you do. Yeah, I do. And I, I think that was purposely, I don't think you were supposed to like this character because you like him more at the end of the episode than you do in the beginning. And, um, you know, just I, I think that I'm just speaking pure opinion here. I think that's the way it was intended to write. I don't think I don't think he was intended to be. I don't think you write a character like that, hoping people like him right off the bat. So I think that was an actual conscious choice that they made mm -hmm. when they wrote this and they put it together that you don't you know, you're not going to like this guy, but you're going to get a little bit of little pieces of him throughout the episode. And by the end of it, you may not still you may still not like him, but you will understand him and you'll be able to feel what he feels and why he's made these choices. Yeah, so I think they did a pretty good job of that. You know, you kind of have to put yourself in the shoes of that character. How, what, what, you know, you, you mentioned that before, you know, you, as a beta's would, how you can't control your emotions. So you kind of have to put yourself in that character situation to a certain extent to kind of how crazy things are going on in his mind. And I, I don't, I think that's hard to translate on screen. I'm not saying they did a, a I think they did a comparable job explaining it, but I don't. Obviously, you two don't don't see it the same way I do, so they probably didn't go far enough in showing this character and what the the struggles and the pain that he went through was going yeah. through. Yeah, so that's the other thing that kind of um, troubles me about this episode is that even for Tam Elbrin, I don't really feel like he underwent any change at all. The change he went through underwent was completely external. 
I'm I'm on this starship with all these other voices. I'm confused and in pain. I don't know what to do. I move over to this ship, and there's only the one voice, and I feel at peace. That's not change. That's a move. You know? I don't feel like he learned anything about himself or, you know... Um, and I guess that's that's the other thing that just that holds me back with it. Okay. Hmm. Um, I do like that scene between him, one of the earlier scenes between him and Data, maybe halfway into the episode. Um, I like that, it, you know, when Data is suggesting that, you know, I'm just a bunch of circuits and, you know, I'm not I'm not alive and that's why you can't read me or whatever. Um, I like that Elbrin's the one that that um, that offers an alternate definition of life, basically, mm-hmm. and says perhaps you're just different, you know. Uh, which is kind of how we've always talked about data and thought of him. E- even, for example, the way he feels and his his sense of emotion, uh, it's just a different different way to define emotion, but it's still an emotion, obviously. So I, I like that he has that. You know, it's one of the few character things I felt like we got from Tam. But I like that he has that character moment with Data, which is the one guy on the ship that he can't read. You know. Yeah, and he kind of he explains that too. You know, Data's he has to actually get to know him. He doesn't know everything about him right off the bat. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and the last thing I, I mentioned is. I think they should have made a little bit more. I, I like the moment when Troy kind of realizes that he is in contact with Tin Man. You know, maybe they should have made a little bit more out of that moment or something. But mm-hmm. um, I always remember that. That was like just the way the star, the starship, whatever you call it, Gamtu, the way he looked, I remembered. And then the way that um, uh, that scene with Troy, when she realizes he's in contact with him. Um, in a way, it slightly reminded me of a couple of older episodes. I'm not sure exactly why. Um I don't know. Maybe the episode where Troy's, you know, contractual he a husband shows up and ends up leaving. Something felt similar about that. Maybe it was just the shape of the ship or something. I don't know. <laughs> was now was that was Gamtu? I, I haven't even looked it up yet. I don't know if he was. I guess they shot something, so they probably did composite him and stuff. But at any rate, in HD, looked very pretty to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, what's this episode about, guys? Finding your place in the world. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too, more or less. Yeah. So why do we say that was such? Because um... <laughs> <laughs> it's trite. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, you know, you talked about the next episode that we're about to talk to talk about, and it probably does a better job of it, and it's easier to like Barkley than it is to to like Tam. Um, but I, I, you know, I kind of like to look at these these two episodes. They relate to each other. It's kind of like how do we deal with people that are different from us or people that we don't necessarily like? Um, we don't really get a great example of that in this episode. We get it better in the next one. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like how do you deal with different people? How do you work with them when you have to? And it's um, it's it's interesting. You know, you, you kind of sometimes I do that do this with, with star trek I'll, I'll watch an episode and be like okay maybe that makes me, how how do i interact with people at work or people that i don't necessarily get along with and that kind of thing and um just kind of makes me think a little bit about that how i how i interact with people and i think these two episodes are good examples of that how 
how all these interchanging things work in a in a small you know on a starship where everybody what everybody does kind of affects everybody else and how how that works out and you know and, and on a TV show it works out at the end of the end of the episode it works out in harmony but you know it's kind of like little life lessons you take for yourself to pick up well on. again it's interesting to compare this to Hollow Pursuits because in this episode this antisocial prodigy uh, does not learn how to interact with others. He basically retreats even further and permanently, um, and in, in a way, you know, gives up. Or maybe he already did a long time ago, but just well, I don't see that. I, he, I don't, he I don't, retreats further because now it's just going to be him and Tin Man forever. Yeah, you know? I don't really see it that way. Um, that's one way to look at it, but it's more they. He, it's a symbiotic relationship. Mm. Tin Man needs him. He needs Tin Man. You know, you got to remember in the episode, this creature was going to basically kill itself. So to me, to say that he just kind of retreats and I mean, obviously, this guy's been in seclusion for a number of years. He he d- just can't deal with it. So you can say that he retreated, but you can also say what the episode said that he found his place, his you know what he was supposed to do. So there's two ways to look have, at like, it. I think they should have solidified that. Maybe in a future episode, the Enterprise is stopping off. <laughs> on some new planet or something and they go into a bar and then, you know, Tam and Gomtu are having like a lounge act. <laughs> They're just up on stage kind of with their legs stretched out drinking martinis. You could be dressed in a Han Solo outfit. <laughs> What's it about, Mr. Embry? Well, I agree that it's that it's basically the finding where one belongs. And I think that we say it in a cheesy fashion because it was kind of brought on cheesy. It's kind of like Adam said earlier on, the kind of it's a little uh, silly datas, and here's where I belong on the Enterprise, and and it's so it's a little trite and it's a little on the nose. I think. I mean, I think that's why the the message of the thing, even though it has a message, why we kind of joke about it because it's it's a little obvious, and that in conjunction with the whole revolving around this character that's kind of unlikable. I think that's the problem. That, those are the problems here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we've covered um, Tin Man. Yeah. I like the uh, kind of the effects whenever Tin Man does his little attack. Mm-hmm. It looks, I think it was, I think I, oh, oh gosh, maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but I think I read that it was a reuse of something, maybe from the first movie or something. Hmm. But it does you know, look kind of like similar. Hmm. You know, maybe if they would have dropped the Romulan story in this episode and just spent more time on like, what Tin Man was in the in that yeah. relationship, it would have been a more solid episode, because you know we we spend a lot of time with the Romulans in this in this episode, and if, is it really necessary? If you know yeah. there's imminent danger with mm-hmm. with the star exploding. Yeah, that's it what I was about to say. That they always want to have some kind of a ticking clock, but you had that with um with the star, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they could have easily mm-hmm. dropped the Romulan stuff and spent more time on yeah. on the character stuff. Yeah. Well, let's go on to an episode that I think we all agree that we like. But first, six degrees for Tin Man. Uh, Steve has one. Adam has none. So, Adam. Yes. Mm, you going first or second? I'll go first. Harry Groner plays Tam Elbrin, uh, the man that decides to become one with the space amoeba. In Voyager's third season, he played the Nachani Magistrate in the episode Sacred Ground. In this episode, a member of Voyager's crew is injured on the Ch- Nachani's homeworld while on shore leave, and Janeway pleads with the Magistrate to allow them to investigate the shrine that caused 
the crew member harm in the hopes of finding a way to cure him or her. Who is the injured crew member? Well, it's going to be a long day on the trivia side for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll go Kess. You're correct. It was Kess. Right. Steve. Yes. In, in Enterprise's final season, Graner, Groner uh, played Nathan Samuels in the episodes Demons and Terra Prime. Samuels was a member of the Earth, uh, United Earth government. What body's creation was he overseeing? Mm, uh, was it uh, the United Federation of Planets? You are correct. It was the coalition of planets that would become the Federation. Oh, so you got that one. So two to one. Moving on. Hollow Pursuits, Season 3, Episode 21, Production Number 169. Original air date, April 30th, 1990. Directed by Cliff Bowl, written by Sally Caves, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Dwight Schultz as Reginald Barkley, Charlie Lang as Duffy, Calmini as Miles O'Brien, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, and Major Barrett as Computer Voice. When the Enterprise experiences problems with an anti-gravity unit, Jordy orders one of his engineers, Lieutenant Barclay, to investigate the malfunction. An officer whom Jordy is having difficult with because of his lack of attendance and confidence. After consultation with the captain, Picard advises Jordy to find a way to motivate him, and in doing so, Jordy finds out an embarrassing habit Barclay has become addicted to. Will your investigation affect our available power during the mission? No. No, sir. We'll have to shut off some systems. We'll uh, shut them down a few at a time. It shouldn't... Uh, I don't think so. Good. I look forward to your report, Mr. Broccoli. All right, Hollow Pursuits. I love Barclay. Honestly, yeah. I love Barclay. I remember... Like... So many of my favorite episodes, so many times over the years, were just Barkley episodes because I love Dwight Schultz. I love Barkley. I love the way he plays Barkley. I love Barkley. I remember, um, what was it? That, what was that first Voyager episode he did? Projections, mm -hmm. you know? And that was, it, I think they shot it for season one and then they just delayed it and didn't show it until season two. But at any rate, that was like the first great Voyager episode to me. And I mean, mm -hmm. admittedly, it could have probably been done on the other shows anyway, that basic storyline. But. I loved it. I remember, wow, that was so, it was, it was so good. And um, there was Barkley, Barkley, so many of my favorites. But this episode in particular, which obviously we're introducing Barkley, but this episode in particular, I know why I love it, love it the way I do. It's because this is one of those rare slice of life episodes that, like, the Trekker in me loves because I want to live on a starship. <laughs> and I think, and I see this guy, um, um, what I think of, com compared to, yeah, he's obviously abnormal in many ways, but compared to the main, you know, the main crew that we see every week who are pretty much all, you know, heroes, and rightly they should be there in the show here, but he's a lot more like a normal person with normal problems to me. Mm -hmm. um, and hey, this is how normal people are living every day on this ship, you know? And when we get those, and sometimes they're not even good, but even when they're not good, we've had some before. We've talked about those slice-of-life ones. Even when they're not good, I enjoy them because this is what it's like to live on the Starship, and I enjoy that a lot. I really do. 
I know, I know it's kind of trippy, but like the first thing I always think about when I watch this episode again, it's like, you know, there's like a thousand people on this ship. How many, you know, it's like he can go into the holodeck whenever he wants and spend as much. You'd think there'd be like a, I always, yeah. think, I know, I always think there's got to be like a reservation list, like a mile long. Like, hey, somebody knock on the door. Your hour's up. Get out of there. I've thought of that too. They, I assume they have more than one holodeck on the ship. Right. Yeah, I think they've established that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Even well, on DS9, Cork had three or four of them. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, the whole holodeck thing in this too. That's a whole other. I mean, I think we've addressed this kind of thing before, but like you know, when he's found out, for yeah, first off, like you said, you people just waltz in on their programs. I mean, okay, so, but anyway, the whole notion of Jory saying, oh, it's a little bit, uh, you know, kind of odd to be reproducing people you work with. Like, really? I mean, that would be going. I mean, in today's life, if you had a holiday, that would be going on all the time. I mean, that's yeah. that's what people would be doing. And it'd be exactly more or less like what he's doing. I mean, you'd have these fantasies, some of them sexual, with people you know. That would be the primary purpose of the holodeck, you know? So People you know or like celebrities or, or something. Celebrities, of course. Yeah, that, because, like. because, well, but, I, but look at it in, like in our society. Because one of the questions I wrote down is, is it, you know, I want for us to discuss, is it okay to recreate people you know? Because in, like, in our society today, for example, celebrities, um, you know, and certain, I don't know, government officials or something, you know, basically famous people, you can say a lot more about them, right? Legally, you can get away with it. You can parody them legally. You can almost, I don't know if you can exactly slander them, but you know what I mean? You can, mm-hmm. uh, help me on here legal term wise, but you can say a lot of stuff. You can critique them. You can say negative things about them in a way that you can't, yes. a private person. If yes. you say that about a private citizen, you know, the Supreme Court has established, right, that that um, celebrities basically have given famous people are open to that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but a private person could sue you for yeah. saying certain things that you could totally get away. So anyway, I mean, it kind of works both ways because not only is this co-work, they're kind of the celebrities of the ship, you know. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. But what I'm saying is, it, in that on the, in that universe, they're still relatively ordinary people. Like if if we had this today, would you be able to do it with just anybody? Or well, I kind of, well, well, I kind of see it as more as the as the ship is more of its own little microcosm of society. You know, it's not there's not anything outside of it. It's like so. I look at, I kind of was thinking about this as like you know, there's like, you know, because in the beginning of the episode, Jordy is kind of a dick, and so is Riker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it kind of reminded me of like you know those movies you see in the school cafeteria, the cool kids, and they're kind of. They're kind of assholes to the working. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of like the feeling I got in the first five ten minutes of this episode. It's kind of like you know, okay, Jordy's the cool kid and he's being the you know he's not being very nice yeah. to the nerdy yeah. kid, you know. So um, so yeah, I kind of you we got into celebrityism and it just made me think. Well, you know, they, these are kind of the, the captain, Riker, and you know, I don't know if they established if he knew Troy or not before beforehand but i mean you know they're the celebrities of the ship you know they're the upper command and obviously we see them every week so yeah i mean well, i like that it's, it's picard of course who immediately shuts shuts uh Jordy and riker down he says no we're not going to just transfer this problem like the last people did we fix problems you know mm-hmm. try harder yeah. basically you know, I love that he says that. I love that that's. I love that that's the crux of this episode. And I think that Jordy very quickly realizes, after he maybe not when when Picard says it, but after trying a little bit, I think he very quickly realizes. Of course, you know, this is what I should have done. You know, um, 
and obviously by the end of the episode. And when I talk about how I think this is a great Jordy episode, it's because of that. It's because we see that transformation as the episode goes on. You know, uh, his initial instant thought after he tries it is maybe this is the right way to go. Of course, it was right. And by the end of it, it's very he's he's very convinced. You know, he's clearly changed. If he was if he was put in that same situation again in the future, he would uh, respond differently. He would respond based on what he's learned here. You know, and that's the definition of change. That's and it's because we get that from Jordy. I think it's a just as good a Jordy episode is as it is a Barkley episode. I really do think that. Um, it's um, it's got a lot of humor, of course. It's very it's very funny. Like I still I still laugh out loud. There aren't I've I've seen Star Trek obviously a gajillion times, like everybody listening to this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but after a while, even the funny jokes aren't so funny anymore because you've just seen them so many yeah. times. You've heard them so many times. When Picard says. I look forward to your report, Mr. Broccoli. <laughs> yeah. I still laugh out loud. And the look on Picard's face, like the camera stays, the camera stays on him. <laughs> I think you get like one quick reaction shot for Barkley, but but it goes back and it just sits on Picard in silence. <laughs> and you look yeah. at, at Stuart's face and it's it's so it's so funny. We get it's to so see funny. Picard embarrassed a lot in, in episode 73 here. <laughs> <laughs> um so that that does make me laugh out loud, and uh, uh, of course you you chuckle a little bit at least uh, with the short, high pitched Riker. It's kind of funny, yeah, and even yeah. they don't they don't make much of it. But Wesley in the background every time just eating that blueberry <laughs> pie that is pretty funny too. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, it was that Picard line that makes me uh, laugh out loud. It's, it's funny too because I don't think, I guess it is kind of the first officer's role to handle. You know, he, you know, he's he's kind of a chief of staff-ish in that he is going to handle personnel issues. They, I put it in a, like, you know, if they come up that high, you know, he would be the one to go down there if he needed to, right. uh, to the holodeck and and find and find what Barkley was up to down there. But it's kind of interesting to imagine what if it was Picard because I don't think Picard would. He he would not. I don't think spend the ten, the five or ten minutes they were they spent down there. I mean, Jordy doesn't even bother trying to explain where he is when Picard calls down. He just says, yeah. I'm in the holodeck and I'll get back to engineering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you guys say um, it's totally okay to recreate people you know. I don't know about that. I mean... I think I think though if you if you like extend what you see in today's life to to this like if if you know if it evolved to that point in the future <clears throat> see is it if if indeed there was some kind of regulation or rule put on not being able to use uh, certain individuals and programs there would simply be hackers that would uh, be around creating mm-hmm. anyway you know I sure. think that's kind of how it would go so I, I don't I don't know I, it's I think it's interesting. Um, but I think I think the I think one of the, the maybe even the bigger issue is the notion of privacy, you know, in this thing. Mm-hmm. Walk in yeah. on what he's doing. Right. That, that's well, the word I kept missing. Well, okay, I know that's not exactly what you're trying. That's the word I kept a minute ago and I was when I was fumbling about trying to explain the legal standpoint, at least in the United States in two thousand thirteen. That's the word I kept forgetting. Yeah. So it's it's you know, celebrities have uh lower um sense of or not sense a lower expectation of privacy Mm -hmm. than a private citizen has a much greater expectation uh, of privacy legally um well i mean you know 
Go ahead. I'll remember. Well, I mean, it's, I, would this even be any, because he's not displaying this publicly. He's not displaying, you know, obviously this is his mm. personal private secret, you know, it's like a stash. So um, he's not displaying any of these things publicly. So I don't know if that would be an, that's true. Be an issue. Yeah. That's so true. If he was try, so if he was trying to sell his holodeck program, that's probably when he uh-huh. was in trouble. Yeah. Okay, that's a good that's a good differentiator. Well, the other thing I think we I think if you, when talking about this episode that you have to discuss is just this meta concept of um, of Barkley as a uh, don't necessarily have to say a Star Trek a modern Star Trek fan, but you know a, as a fan of fiction and getting lost in um, you know it's a hollow you know. Hollow, hollow addiction, I think they say in this episode. Mm-hmm. Hollow, hollow deck addiction. Um, yeah, producers of this show insisted that it was not. Uh, they were not making having. There was there was no intended commentary on Star Trek fans, and Barkley was not supposed to be like the Star Trek fan. Um, but even if you dismiss that part of it, um, there is still this question of um, addiction to fantasy world. Um, I don't know. I guess this episode, from when we discuss what it's about, I, I guess it's kind of discussing talking about that. I never, I never. That's what I'm not necessarily what I think. Of. I, would, I think it has. More to do I with would relate it more to video part. games. You know, because I kind of I look at the holiday. Yeah, from yeah, from I kind of look at it as more of a critique on video games because think about it. You know, a, a holodeck is the is the ultimate video game. If you think about it, so I mean, in the late '80s, that's you know, you I was playing Zelda, Mario, you know, so we spent a lot. I mean, that's when people spent a lot of time playing. Just got started playing a lot of video games, so I would see more of a critique on on video gaming than necessarily Star Trek people and movie fans, that kind of thing. Hmm. But um, there was just coincidence. Steve, did you ever think that? He was uh, a metaphor for Star Trek fans. That didn't really occur to me. No, honestly, I, that's interesting that notion, but that didn't really occur to me. No, I remember maybe not the first time I ever saw it, but I don't know the '90s or mm-hmm. early 2000s or something. I remember thinking that one time when I watched it. Yeah. Maybe it was whenever you remember there was that period where all of a sudden geek was cool. It was like <laughs> right be- right before that. Probably <laughs> taking everything personally, and I'm like, they're just trying to make me look stupid. <laughs> mm. uh, well, and the last thing before we see what it's about, but um, what really wraps up the episode nicely to me is that, in a way, it is Barclay's imagination that helps save the whole ship because just like he says, you know, instead of thinking of the problem, you know, when the, the ship is going uncontrollably faster and faster and it's going to blow up. And I, I know I didn't necessarily need that. Maybe, I don't know. Hey, I'm, I'm not the writer, but you know, maybe they could have found something short of everyone's going to die <laughs> uh, for him to learn and everybody to learn that he's good. But anyway, anyway, that's a separate thing. Oh, and there is a lot of, Man, there's a lot of techno babble at the end of this episode. Yeah. I enjoy it, but I'm I'm like hyper aware of it now because we've gotten all that JJ Trek and mm-hmm. seen that it's not necessary. It, it it almost feels a little silly when they have so much of it, like they do at the very end of this episode. When you even when you've got Captain Picard and Riker spouting it, it's really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, so yeah, I mean, guys... the, 
Yeah, that whole that whole embassy seemed to kind of be wrapped up. I kind of kept thinking to myself, okay, they got 12 minutes before the ship blows in. Riker and um, Ricard are just sitting on the bridge that seemed pretty calm about everything. Nobody's the ship's about to tear itself apart. I'm like, and then they had that plan about the saucer <laughs> separating. I'm like, well, why aren't they getting that plan ready? They're just kind of no. <laughs> Riker's and Ricard's like. Jeez, if I had a nickel for every time this ship was about to... <laughs> no, but I like that it's, you know, because uh, uh, Barkley says, we're, all, we're analyzing this like it's uh, looking for the systemic issue, but what if it's, what if it's us? You know, it's, it's almost like his imagination has, you know, this thing that has hindered him in other ways in his life. But in this scenario, he uses it to save the ship, basically, his imagination helps him come up with an idea, a hypothesis, it leads him to a conclusion that the other people who lack imagination have not come up with. You know, I, in other words, so so I like that this thing that has held him back before um, is now the very thing that everyone needs and is going to love him for in a minute. You know, mm-hmm. so. I do like this episode a lot. It's just it just feels good watching it. You know, it mm-hmm, feels mm-hmm. good. And I his, think I'm like you, Brian. I, I love Dwight Schultz. Yeah, he's so good. He's so like immediately real. You know, mm-hmm. immediately real in every scene you see him with. So, uh, what's this episode about? Similar themes to some of we discussed in our last episode. We just talked about some some similar themes to Tin Man. Yeah, overcoming differences. You know, and we can. I think we can clearly say that Barkley made a bigger leap than um tam uh yeah i mean it's, it's a lot of the same thing you know i'm finding working with people with differences i mean and i agree with you about jordy he did grow um from start to finish in this episode like i was saying he was he was not very pleasant in the first five or ten minutes of this episode but by the end of it he understood barkley and they were you know great friends from there on out just because he he was able to open his mind to that to that what he needed to do yeah, I think so. I think it's like a, a kind of a finding your way and also learning how to get the best out of people. I mean, you know, from a certain angle, I mean, I in my uh, my, my daytime life, I'm a, I'm a supervisor at a place. Well, I've, there's a lot of leadership lessons here, you know, especially from the Geordie angle, you know, in terms of you, know, you have people that uh, might be quirky in their own way or, you know, they're a little unusual, you know, but uh, everyone has something to offer, you know, so it's it's uh, the leader's job to, you know, find that, you know, you can, you know, obviously, you know, in a way he's Barkley saved the day and maybe if they hadn't found a way to, uh, to utilize him the best they could, maybe the show would have ended right here in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, that, that statement of everybody has something to offer really sums it up for me what it's about, you know, basically in that scene near the beginning with Picard, um, Riker and Jordy. Um, Picard doesn't have much negative to say about Barkley. He's saying something negative about Jordy. Mm-hmm. He's saying, you need to be, you need to do your job better. Your job mm-hmm. is to lead these people. You know, mm-hmm. everybody has something to offer. You need to, just because he's, you know. He's a member of your team. Yeah, He is a member of your team. He's different. You can't, you can't use him the same way that you use these other people. But that's your job. That's your job as the leader of these people. Um, and always wash your hands after handling contaminated containers. Of course, of course. Come on, guys. Mm-hmm. Jeez, that's for the listeners Again. out there. Wash your hands Again. after you handle handle containers like that. Well, especially if they were just sitting on those anti-grav units. You know, you should always wash. 
<laughs> Funny, we, we we never saw a, an anti-grav unit again in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that that was my first thought whenever they're like, yeah, it opened up and we touched it. And my first thought was, my son is two and he can wash his hands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hollow Pursuits. Love it. Looking forward to seeing Barkley again. <laughs> Moving on to Six Degrees for Hollow Pursuits. Oh, gosh. I think it's um, two to one, Steve, right? Yeah, sounds right. All right, Steve. Dwight Schultz plays Reginald Barkley, the crewman that's more comfortable in the holodeck than reality. Schultz will reprise his role many times throughout Next Gen and Voyager. Besides, obviously, seasons one and two, in which season of Next Gen will he not appear? So this is season three. He's in season three. Between four, five, six, and seven, there's one season that he is not in. Which one? Oh, gosh. <clears throat> is it five? Wow, that was good. You're right. Uh, Adam, in yes. which Star Trek film does he appear as Barkley? In, Star- in which film does he appear as Barkley? That would be First Contact. You are correct. Star Trek First Contact. All right, so we ended up with um, three to two. Pretty close, pretty close. <sighs> Did you guys pick up your copy of Into Darkness last week? I have. Yes. Yeah. I've watched it. I, yeah, I know, Caesar. You don't, you don't buy them. Well, no, I'll probably buy it, but I just um, I was at the I was walking by a red box and they had it, so I just I just grabbed it to watch it. Well, I thought you could. I was walking by a red box and it was playing, so I stood there for two hours. <laughs> yeah, I, just, <laughs> I was at one of those ones that have a hood where you can stick your head under the hood yeah. and the sun's glaring. <laughs> and then... uh, did your thoughts change much on it? Do you still feel the same way you did when we had our this big discussion about it back in May? You know, there's a lot I really like about this movie. The you know the movie and there's a lot I dislike so yeah I would say the things that I liked about it are were strengthened and the things that I don't like about it are about the same and you know just kind of I was a little yeah. bit more I was a little bit more accepted watching it the second time around I'm like right. you know what it, yeah. it is it is what it is it's not like you know I can go back in time and slap JJ around and say don't do this so I mean it I enjoyed it it's a I I still contend it's a very entertaining movie absolutely um, mm-hmm. um probably the fastest pace star trek movie we've seen up to this date and so it's a it's a good fun ride um there's pluses and minuses about it it'll be interesting to see where they go from here and we'll find out i guess in the next two three four five six years yeah i have a feeling we're gonna get a klingon war not necessarily what i want but yeah i i I agree with you i think that's kind of what's happened to me the stuff i liked about it i probably i enjoyed even more certainly no less and the stuff that i disliked is probably about the same you know, kind of an acceptance. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I just kind of I roll my eyes just a tiny bit on the um, con <laughs> scene, you know, and then and then as a gen- generally speaking, I do still feel like well, he didn't. He just didn't need. He he's not the person we thought of as con. He isn't con. He didn't need to be con. He could have just been John Harris, and you know that would have been fine. And as we talked back in May, it probably hurt the marketing that it was this other person and blah blah blah. But anyway, that stuff aside. Um, I, it's very entertaining. It's a good. It's a good movie, and it's um, it's my favorite the, thing about it. Back in May is still my favorite thing about it now. It has incredible production value, and for people, that, especially younger people listening to our podcast, that I don't know, I th- maybe take that for granted. You know, we're we're all the three of us on this podcast are a little bit older. You know, we grew up in the classic movies and next gen movies era, and 
the biggest budget they ever had was still so tiny. And if you watched, I don't know, even like First Contact, which feels pretty substantial, watch that and then watch this. There's not even the same ballpark. You know, it's it's crazy. Star Trek Into Darkness is like watching a Star Wars movie where it where it's it's basically limitless. You know, it's whatever you can possibly think of, as opposed to First Contact when um you know they have, they go out of the settlement and there's like four people at a bar. <laughs> uh, I love it. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that that's that the production value was my favorite thing back in May. It's my favorite thing today, and I think I'm always going to enjoy that. Um, and if you know, for for the movies, I'm okay if they're not if they don't make as many statements. Although I really I don't know if you guys followed all that craziness recently. Uh, there's some stuff that or Robert. Uh, Roberto Ortiz said, mm. <clears throat> I, "I maybe he wasn't the nicest guy about it, but I mean, I think he was right. I do think this movie is trying to be about something. We even talked about it back in May. It's very clear the comments on, you know, modern warfare and drone warfare and stuff like that. Um, it's definitely about something. It's just, it's not. It's never going to be about something in the way that a television show can." Right. Um, because they, bet- they have to have those big explosions and stuff, and that's cool. And you know what? If you're going to have the big big explosions, if you got to save the world, that's the difference, right, between an episode of Star Trek and a Star Trek movie, save the world. Um, why wouldn't you want the best explosions money can buy, <laughs> you know? I think when we look back on these, at least for me, when I look back on Abram's contributions to Star Trek, um, I think probably, and I don't think this movie did anything to hurt that. I think it, uh, watching it a second time kind of helped strengthen it. The cast in this movie, they have a great chemistry and a great bond, mm-hmm. I Absolutely. think, which was unexpected for me going into the second, you know, this, this kind of this reboot of Star Trek. I think we all probably thought this, like, how are you going to recast? How can you recreate that, that, that iconic bond? And I don't think they did recreate it. I think that the cast, they're so great together. They have such great chemistry that it, they have their own uniqueness to it. I mean, Simon Pegg is, is great as, as Scotty. I which mean, Which is why it kind of sticks out whenever, because I totally agree with you. They didn't recreate it. They created something wholly new, and it works, and it works like gangbusters. Um, and then when they try to imitate something from the original guys, it falls so flat, which is yeah. why I said I rolled it's my not eyes necessary. on the, I rolled my eyes on the, the Kirk death scene. Spoiler. Uh, I roll my eyes on that scene because, and it, and it's because they're trying to imitate something from the other guys, and the other guys were just so different, and they they need to stick to their own thing because when they're doing their own thing, works like gangbusters. I the other thing I want to say is I watched this is the first time I was able to do this. Then I when I watched Into Darkness, I watched it back to back with the first Abrams movie. I was able to you know watch it on my my theatrical screen at my post house and. They really play well together. They really, really do. Um, so that I really enjoyed too. Uh, Steve, which uh, which version did you buy? Target. Target, yes. Yeah, that's what I. Well, I, I had I had purchased the Amazon one. Um, so it came with the regular Blu-ray 3D. It didn't, you know, I got the Phaser, which is awesome, by the way. The Phaser is gorgeous. <laughs> but um, somebody I knew was buying Into Darkness. And he doesn't care about it at all about extra features, so I asked him to just buy it at Target, and I swapped him. So I did end up getting the Target version. Hmm. And in addition to my beautiful QMX uh, phaser, it even flips. It'll go from stun to uh, <laughs> kill. You're so clever, Brian. I know. All right. Well, I'm really glad we had that movie, and I'll, I'm sure I'm going to watch it again uh, yeah. Yeah. soon. Probably this this 
this fall, I'll watch it at least one or two more times. I'm sure I will. All right, folks. So in two weeks, um, we are going to have a special guest. Uh, Mark is going to be on to discuss his new book about the original series um, and the fact that he came, he co-authored this story for Sarek, which is an episode we're going to be discussing on our next podcast. So that's going to be in uh, two weeks. Very, very excited about that. Um, so follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Uh, our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. You can hop over to iTunes and click the little five-star rating on us, and that helps other people find us. If you really want to be awesome, you'll leave a little message about um, how pretty Steve is. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then that helps people find us, and we love that. So thank you so much, and uh, we are excited to come back in two weeks. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. See you.